0: Please open to Romans chapter 3 as we keep going through Romans. And we're up to verse 27 in chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of those black Bibles. It's on the end of each pew. And in that Bible, it should be on page 941. This is Romans chapter 3, verses 27 and 28 is where we are looking today, continuing to set our minds on the salvation that God has given us in Jesus that he freely pours out to us. Not on the basis of works, but on the basis of Christ's work. Received not through our merit, but through faith alone in him. So here's what it says. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law Now, I want to know if you have ever had anyone else take credit for something that you did. Maybe somebody took credit for your idea and uh, managed to get away with that. What a frustrating feeling that is, right? Maybe somebody took credit for your joke. I already had that written in my sermon notes, actually. And this morning, my son came to me and told me a really great joke. I'll tell it to you. How about that? I always tell when I'm telling people, it, it, the few times in my life that I've ever trained people, here's how you should preach, I always say, don't tell jokes, but I'm about to break my own rule. So, what, what, uh, did, did you know that Africa is so large that it can fit a smaller version of Africa within its own borders? I think that's hilarious. My own son, it's not. This is why I tell preachers, don't tell jokes, all right? Um. My own son came up and told me that joke, and I said, that's a hilarious joke, but I told you that joke, all right? So I don't know if you've ever had your, your joke stolen, um, or have you ever had somebody take credit for your work? That, that can be really frustrating, can't it, to put in long hours, do hard things, and then someone else might come along and make it seem as though they are the ones who should get credit for what you did? It's frustrating, Well, what God is communicating to us in these verses and in the ones that came before it is that God is the one who gets credit for our salvation. When it comes to our being saved from our sins, our going to heaven to experience the eternal joy of the presence of Christ forever rather than the eternal conscious torment that we deserve for our sins, When it comes to that salvation, the eternal things, God is going to get the credit. So in the last verses that we looked at last week, he put that in a positive way. This was at the beginning, or in the middle of verse 25, it says, this was to show God's righteousness, all right? So why is it that God put his own son Jesus forward to be the propitiation for our sins by his blood why did he set up the gospel so that people are saved by, by faith in his blood rather than in their own works or in doing things? Why did God do that? Well, last time it said, it, here's the positive case. It is to demonstrate God's righteousness, to show God's glory, to show God's character. That's why God has done it this way, to save sinners through this gospel, through this Christ who has come in this way. Now, he's going to show us the negative case. It's not just so that God would demonstrate his righteousness, but it's also to take away any case that any human being had to demonstrate their own righteousness, to say that maybe there was something about us that could have done this. Now, we, we see in Scripture both positive statements and negative statements, and both of those things are necessary They're both necessary, as as Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out when he preached on this passage back in the 1950s, they're necessary because human beings are sinners. If human beings weren't sinners, then you could just put everything in a positive way, just say this is the truth, but because human beings are sinners and we tend to twist the truth and to take it in directions that would magnify ourselves rather than magnifying God, God has to come back in and say not just this is the truth, but also these things are not the truth. Don't start thinking this way. So he has said, here is the truth. God saves sinners by the blood of Jesus through faith alone. And here is the truth. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness, to show his glory. But you also need to know the negative case. It was not to show your glory, to show man's glory. It was, in fact, to take away any ground for boasting, In the mouth of man. So let's see how Paul puts this, how the Holy Spirit puts this through Paul's pen in verse 27. He says this Then what becomes of our boasting? Or some translations might put it more literally Then where is boasting? What happens to boasting if this is the gospel that he's just laid out in verses 21 through 26? What happens to human boasting? And the answer is this It is excluded. Every bit of human pride is ruled out by the gospel. Human pride, especially in terms of what it is that we could present to God as some sort of a basis of why we should be accepted by Him. Now, sometimes we are, we are used to boasting in certain ways that are not necessarily sinful. I, so I, I, wanna, I want you to think about it this way, because... Usually when we use the word boasting or we use the word bragging, we think about those really, really annoying people around us who are just always talking about how great they are and the great things that they've done. And Yeah, yeah we, we, we get frustrated with that, right? It's, it's easy to kind of take that and say, well, obviously somebody shouldn't do that. But I, I want you to also think about a resume. This, this is not sinful to have a resume, and I would imagine that most of you, if you're over the age of maybe 16 or so, you've probably at some point put together a resume or filled out a job application, and you have to say on there somewhere why it is that you're qualified for the job. And that's not sinful, but I, I remember when I, was, when I was in college, I had a friend who was just about to graduate. He was a year or two ahead of me, and he was saying, boy, this is so frustrating. I don't know what I'm going to do after graduation. Because if I'm going to try to get a job, it really seems like I have to sell myself, and I don't want to do that. He, just, he, he didn't want to apply for jobs because he didn't want it to seem like he was bragging. And, well, you know, you kind of you just have to tell people why you're qualified for a job. Even somebody who's going to pastor a church usually has to fill something out or submit a resume that says, here's why I'm qualified to do this. And I think that would help us a little bit more to think about what Paul is talking about. Of course, what he says boasting, it it would include that outright self-glorifying kind of bragging, would certainly include that, but it also includes anything that we would try to put on a resume to try to hand to God to say, here is why I am qualified. Here is why I should be, why I should have a seat at the table of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Here is why I should have a room in God's house. Here here is why I should be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Here is all of these things. Here is what qualifies me. And he says, all of that by the gospel is ruled out. Your resume that you hand to God, if you understand the gospel, is going to be blank. Maybe your name. (laughs) That's about it. Why is that? Well, think, think about the things that you could boast in. God has, uh, ha- has just wiped away any opportunity to write any of that on your heaven application. But you could, you could try to boast in things like family lineage. And that's one of the things that Paul is is really getting at and trying to drive home in these chapters, Uh, all the way from the beginning of the book and continuing past this point. He is trying to emphasize God saves every human being that he saves in the same way. It's not a different way for Jews and for Gentiles. You don't get into heaven because you are of the lineage of Abraham. You, you get into heaven on the basis of the finished work of Christ, which you trust in him. And so there, there, would, some, there would be some who would try to say, well, I'm not bragging. I'm just telling the truth that, that I was born into the, the people of Israel, and therefore I have a step up. I have something to put on my resume before God. Obviously I ought to be in. And Paul is saying that is not a basis upon which God will accept people into eternal life. He goes on, it's not just about family lineage, or or I should say family lineage is not just about being part of the people of Israel. You need to know that it's not about being born into the church either. Kids, you need to hear this. Uh, The fact that you are sitting in a church pew as a child and you've never known anything except going to church on Sundays the fact that you have grown up here and that you have parents who are believers and who teach you the gospel at home, that kind of thing, that does not give you an added stamp on your resume before God. There is no basis upon which you can boast. You cannot go to heaven on your parents' coattails. You cannot say, well, I grew up Baptist, by the way, that's, that's not something that's possible. We, we in Baptist churches know that that's not possible. That's part of why we're Baptists is we, we know that you don't grow up Christian. You must be born again, right? But this is just saying we, we don't have that as a basis for boasting. We don't have that as something that can give us a leg up in God's kingdom. You might boast in your membership in a church or in some other group might say, well, God, here, here is why. It's because I made it through that process of going to the membership class and talking to the pastor and talking to those other guys, and, and uh, I got voted in, and, uh, and I did this stuff. Well, if that were the basis for going to heaven, then we would have a ground for boasting. I'm a member of the church. There are some who, who I mean, obviously, only God knows hearts, But there's been survey data from the last few years that that show us that there are a number of people in America who have begun to identify themselves as evangelicals um, because of their conservative politics, even though they don't seem to actually believe in the doctrines of the gospel or to even go to church, that it, it just almost seems like one of these performative things like... Well, you, you, know, you people out there, you can't believe that I'm conservative. Well, watch this. I'm evangelical too. How about that? In your face is almost the feeling. And, and God would say, what of that kind of boasting? It is excluded. You do not get into heaven just because you want to publicly brag that you are of this kind of people or that kind of people. Your conformity to religious standards. Now, I want every single one of you to conform to the standards of this church. I I would be absolutely overjoyed if everybody here would be here every Sunday morning, not just by 10.30, not just by 10.15 even, but by 8.55 for Sunday school. I would be overjoyed if everybody at this church were here every Wednesday night, except for this week, because it's canceled this week, but it'll be next week, For at 7 p.m. for the prayer meeting. Because, God, we're supposed to pray as a church, not to just stay home and say, well, I think I prayed a little bit in my car. We're supposed to pray together. I, I hope that every single member of the church will be seeking to build each other up, to to, to prayerfully consider how can I use the spiritual gifts that God has given me to serve the church as an organization and the church as individual people that I love. I, I hope that everybody would be considering, uh, you know, what, what does it look like for, for me to go home and to be devoted, to, to, to actually follow a Bible reading plan. There's one in your bulletin today, by the way. And, and to be in prayer in the spirit on a daily basis, uh, I want everybody to meet those religious standards, but did you know that there is still no doing that you can put on your resume before God as a kind of boasting to say, here is why I am qualified. You could boast, as we as we prayed from uh, Jeremiah just a little while ago, you could boast in your wisdom, you could boast in your strength, you could boast in your achievements, you could boast in your riches, you could boast in how much you have contributed to the church there's all kinds of ways you could boast your hard work your baptism all kinds of things but guys nothing can go on your spiritual resume to get you into heaven nothing nothing that we can present to god now why is this a question that paul even raises if you are familiar with the new testament And with the letters of Paul in the New Testament, you know that this idea of boasting is something that comes up all the time, something that Paul seems to be really thinking about a lot, seems to have right on the front of his mind in, in relationship to what the gospel is and how it applies to him and to humanity. And why is that? Well, I think it's because Paul had built up a really good spiritual resume, before he came to faith in Jesus. Here's his resume. He actually lays it out in Philippians 3. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here it is. Here's the bullet points. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, which means he was of a sect that strictly followed the law of Moses as they interpreted it, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, meaning he was so zealous for that tradition of following after the law that when this man named Jesus came along claiming to be the Messiah and upset that tradition, that he zealously opposed everything having to do with Jesus, including the very people who would follow Jesus. That was another bullet point on his resume before God in his mind. He says, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Meaning that not that Paul would have thought that he was sinless at that time, but that every time he was aware of any sin in his life, that he would deal with it according to the rules that had been laid out for him in the law of Moses and in the interpretation of the rabbis that had come after that. And so he says, according to the law, I was blameless. He says, whatever gain, though, whatever gain I had, that's his boasting. That's his old spiritual resume where if you would have asked Paul before coming to faith in Jesus this question that I find so helpful when, when I'm talking to somebody who doesn't know Christ yet, this question, if you were standing before God today, if you died today, and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? It's a great question to ask people. Paul would have said, here's my bullet points. Hebrew of Hebrews, tribe of Benjamin, people of Israel, circumcised on the eighth day. I'm, in the, 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 I'm a Pharisee according to the law. I'm blameless under the law. I follow all the rules. I, I'm so zealous for this that I went after people who opposed it. But listen to what he says about that. He says, indeed, he, he says, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Here is what Paul... All of that is just summarized in these few words in the first half of verse 27. What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. That's what he's getting at. Whatever it is that you may have in your mind, here is what I have to present to God on my spiritual resume. Here is the proof that I should be in heaven forever and not in hell. Paul says... I took all that when I met Jesus and I flushed it down the toilet because I met Jesus. And what are those things in comparison to Christ? I count everything as rubbish in comparison to Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that I could boast about, but, but this righteousness that is counted as mine. Jesus' righteousness counted to me, not by something I do, but by faith, by depending and trusting upon Christ alone. So you see what this does here. This excludes all boasting, and that is beautiful in the sight of God. There is nobody in eternity who is going to be able to say, I got here by my own work. I got here by my own contribution. There is something about me that put me here. It's going to be Christ is the mighty Savior. God is a God of loving kindness. God is a God of grace who has poured his grace out to me. That's why I'm here. If you want to put something on your spiritual resume, in your application to heaven, just put Jesus. Jesus paid it all. Trust in him then he goes on and he says, by what kind of law? What excludes this? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. By what kind of law? Now, I've got to say, there are some people who have interpreted these phrases in this verse in a way that, that makes it sound like, okay, we had the law of works, that was the Old Testament law, and now we have the law of faith, that's the New Testament law, and it's just kind of like a little bit lighter law. Maybe that's what he's getting at here. And in fact, this is, this is the view of the Roman Catholic Church where if you, if, you would, if you look at the Roman Catholic Catechism, which is on the Vatican website, which is where I have to look if I'm going to say, here's what the Roman Catholic Church believes, because all kinds of parishes teach all kinds of different things. I realize that. But, uh, but, but if you look there, they, they would say that the gospel is a new law that there was the law of Moses and now there is the law of the gospel. That, that, that's not good news. If the law of faith means, well, we just have to work hard in different ways in order for our boasting to be excluded, in order to be included into heaven, well, that's, that's not good news at all. If we couldn't live up to one rule, why do we think we could live up to another rule? What Paul is getting across here is that, no, it's not by any law at all. It is not by works at all. He says, by what kind of law? By law of works. That's the only kind of law there is, guys. He says, no, but by the law of faith. This is very similar to the phrase that he used back in chapter 1, that that the, the goal of his ministry was to bring about the obedience of faith. Here is how you come into obedience to God. It is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus said in John 6 when this crowd asked him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the law of faith. It's the obedience of faith. This is the law by which God brings people into his kingdom. It's no law at all, it is, is gospel, it is good news. It is, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, meaning burdened down by the law, burdened down by all the rules. Come to me, and I will give you rest. The law of faith takes away our burdens. He would put us in this light and easy yoke. If you were wondering, well, maybe it really is a law, just go back a few verses. Look at verse 20 he says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. For now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And then verse 22, the righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That's what he's saying here. It is not by works, it is by faith. What kind of law is it that excludes boasting? Well, There is no rule that we could follow that would exclude boasting. If there's a rule you can follow, it's a rule you can boast about following. Let me just help you think through that. There there may be really, really good rules, like being kind to your family. You should be kind to your family, right? Once you are kind to your family, you could potentially say, hey, I'm really kind to my family, isn't that great? There's also bad rules that people boast about. By what kind of law? Well, it could be the law of the world, things like here, here's a rule that's become new in the last few years is that if a man wants to call himself a woman, then you'd better go along with it. And those who don't go along with it are said to be evil. Those who do go along with it are said to be doing justice and to have compassion and be doing what is right. It's just bizarre. When the world goes against the law of God, they make up their own law by which they would then consider themselves righteous and boast in those things. It's just one thing. We could go through a whole list of ways in which the world calls good evil and evil good. They make new rules. There are real rules that you can follow, like you shall not steal. That's a good rule. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Everybody gets that one. And yet when you follow it, you could say, look at me, I'm not stealing today. Well, good for you. There's made-up rules, like, you better knock on wood after you said that. Ah, That's pretty pagan, actually, if you think through that. But every rule that you could follow, if it's a thing that you could do, it is something that could promote human boasting. I lived up to this standard. But the law of faith is not, I lived up to this standard. It is, I presented myself before God as poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, empty-handed, only there to receive, nothing in my hand to give, to receive this righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We don't boast in our works. We can't boast in our merit. We can't boast even in our faith. We boast in Christ Christ alone. Here's what it says in Galatians 6.14. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it says, by the way, on my favorite stained glass window there. In the cross of Christ I glory. We boast not in anything about ourselves but that Jesus was slain for our sins and that he has purchased our eternal life for us. Guys, I, I mentioned this just very briefly, but I want to I say a little bit more about it. That you, you, We're not even to boast in our faith. right? The law of faith doesn't mean you, you have on your spiritual resume before God, my faith is awesome because. <laughs> or here is the evidence that I have great faith and therefore should be led into heaven. Guys, if we had that kind of faith, where we're saying God should let me into heaven on the basis of the quality of my faith, then what you have is faith in faith and not faith in Christ. Actual faith is placed in Jesus. Its object, its direction is the person of Christ. It is not faith in itself That's that's why sometimes when we're talking in really theological terms, we'll, we'll say that faith is not the cause of our justification. Faith is the instrument of our justification. God does not look and see who is it in the world who has faith. Those are the people I will save. No, he goes and saves people by his grace unconditionally. He saves sinners who had no intention to seek after him, according to Romans 3 earlier in this chapter. No one seeks God. And you know what he does when he gives that grace? Is he gives faith. Even our faith is a gracious gift from God. It says in Philippians, he has granted us to believe. Oh, I love that. I love it. So we don't say, well, it's on the basis of my great faith. No, we trust in Jesus. That's what faith looks like. Not constantly obsessed, is my faith good enough? Is my faith good enough? But constantly obsessed, my Savior is good enough. My Savior is Lord. He is the one who can take me to eternal life. Here's the way John Murray put it in his commentary on Romans. He says, faith is self-renouncing. Works are self-congratulatory. Faith looks to what God does. Works have respect to what we are. Or Charles Hodge, in his commentary on these verses, he, I, I just I love this guy. He says, the contrast in this verse is not between works produced by the law and works produced by faith, but between works and faith, between what is done by us and what Christ has done for us. I guess that's the, that's the difference between the law and the gospel there. The law, when, when I use that word law, sometimes people ask me, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the Old Testament you're talking about the Ten Commandments, you're talking about this. It's what are, the, what are the rules that you're supposed to follow? That's God's law. It can be Old Testament, it can be New Testament, it, it can be anything that you are supposed to do. That is law, but guys, here's what gospel is. It's not what you do. It is what God has done for you in Christ. And God has good laws, but it's only the gospel that saves it is not, here is how well I have done. It is Christ, Christ alone. Saving faith is the kind of faith that it says in Hebrews twelve two that is looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's what it looks like. And then we get to one of the greatest statements of the gospel in all of Scripture in verse 28. He says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Oh, so that doctrine of justification by faith alone. Some people would call that a reform doctrine. Some people would call that a Protestant doctrine or a Lutheran doctrine or something like that. But do you know what it is? It is a Bible doctrine, which means it is God's doctrine. God is the one who has given us the doctrine of, of justification by faith alone. And here it is, pretty plainly, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. What is justified? What does the word justified mean? Well, justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That's what the catechism says, the Baptist catechism. And I love that definition. It is God's, by his grace, pardoning our sins and accepting us as righteous people before him because Jesus' righteousness is counted to us. He justifies by faith apart from works of the law. One way to think about justification in these terms is is almost the word vindication. Where, Where one day, we all long to have this. We all long one day to be vindicated as being in the right. But if God were to lay us bare to see who is it that needs to be vindicated as being in the right, we'd all be doomed. And yet he takes doomed sinners and will vindicate us as being in the right. And it seems so bizarre. Why would God justify sinners? Well, he does it, he says, by faith. Because it is by trusting, it is by the mechanism, through the instrument of trusting in Jesus Christ alone as our righteousness. Now, what is that faith that we're talking about? I told you, I, just, I want you to be so sick of hearing the definition of faith, that you just, every time I say it, your eyes are just going to roll because I want you to memorize it so that you can tell people what faith is, all right? Because we, it says here, he justifies by faith apart from works of the law. Apart from works of the law. What is that faith? Well, it is faith in Jesus Christ. It's not faith in faith, It's not faith in God getting you through the day. It's not faith in, well, I I think that I'm going to do better. It's not faith in, well, I don't think this is really true, but I'm going to make myself believe it anyway. It is faith in the person of Jesus. It is faith in Jesus Christ. It's a saving grace that God gives us where we rest upon him alone for our salvation. It is faith. Faith in Christ alone. It is it is not just knowing the truth about Jesus. It's not even just intellectually affirming and agreeing with the truth about Jesus, which most people would stop there and say, That's believing. You think the facts are true. It is an actual trust of oneself in Jesus alone for our salvation. That's what faith is. Where we rest not just where we receive and rest upon him. As our prophet, priest, and king, as our savior. Now, when he says faith apart from works of the law, that means faith without doing. Some would say, well, maybe this just means apart from works of the law, meaning like uh, you don't have to keep kosher anymore. Well, you don't have to keep kosher anymore. That's true. I'm glad about that. I love bacon. We had ham last night, it was awesome. I'm glad about that, but the way that he is laying this out, the whole argument that he's got here, the argument that he's going to continue all the way through chapter 4, the whole thing is it's not just about this law or that law or this law that has been abrogated by the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus or that or that. He, he's, when he says faith apart from works of the law, he's saying works do not contribute to your salvation. It is by faith alone that God justifies sinners, by faith alone. Now, some, as I said, some would say, well, that's a doctrine that came with Martin Luther. He, he made that up in the 1500s, and, and he put that in this verse, and, and uh, that's not really what people thought before. Well, it is. It is. I'll just name a few of the, the theologians who came in the many centuries before Martin Luther who put the word alone after faith in their commentaries on this verse, where they were attesting this verse says that God saves people by faith alone. There was Origen, Theodoret, Hilary, Basil, Ambrosiaster, Chrysostom, Cyril of Alexandria, Bernard, Theophylact, and Thomas Aquinas. Guys, this, this doctrine is not something that just got made up in the 16th century. All, all, just massive amount of people just looking at the scriptures have seen this throughout the history of the church. It's just what's there. God justifies sinners by faith alone. But then the question comes up. We have to read this verse out of James, James 2.24. It says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, that's kind of shocking, isn't it? Didn't we just get done saying this is the pretty clear argument here in Romans that you are justified by faith alone and not by works? And then James comes and says, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so some people would look at that and say, well, therefore, the Bible is contradictory. James has a different gospel than Paul. Jesus probably has a different gospel. Peter probably has his own gospel, too. And they're all just all writing stuff and trying to fool people into this this religious stuff. Maybe they're trying to get money out of people or something like that. It's all just a hoax. That's what people would say. Well, that's what you would do if you weren't reading the context. Reading the context in Romans, it's very clear. He is saying, we are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from works. In James, here's the context. When he says a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, let me go back to 10 verses before that. In James 2.14, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? There's your context right there. He is not talking about saving faith. He's not talking about the faith that Paul is talking about. He is talking about a performative faith. He's talking about the kind of faith that someone would go around boasting in. The kind of thing where someone would have simply an intellectual assent, an intellectual agreement just affirming the facts where you could then go and say, look at my faith. And yet it doesn't even change their lives. It doesn't affect who they are. He says, can that faith save him? And guys, the answer to that all over the scriptures, including in the book of Romans, is no. A faith that is meaningless in our lives, where you just simply say, but I believe the facts, that is not saving faith. It cannot save you. The way that Luther put it, and Calvin and many others as well, is that, The faith it is by faith alone that we are saved. But the faith that saves is never alone. A a saving faith is a life-transforming thing. Just as as Paul would go on and say in in Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see what that is? It's saying if you have faith in God, if you have received his grace, that it will change your life, and your works will change, and your works will reflect that. And as you do those things, you're not even going to boast in your works then. Because you're not going to say, look at what I did for God. You're going to say, God laid these things out before, to for me to walk in. I didn't have to come up with my own good works. I didn't have to come up with my own plan. It is just God has laid it out for me to walk in. So what What James is saying, it, it, when, when he gets across, uh, and when he says that we are saved, or excuse me, justified by works, and not by faith alone, he's saying anybody who claims to have faith and goes around bragging about their faith, but it doesn't affect their lives, that's not what faith looks like. In fact, he says, that's the kind of faith that Satan has. Even the demons believe and tremble. Satan knows perfectly well that the gospel is 100% true. He could intellectually affirm that, but he hates Jesus. He doesn't trust in Jesus. That's that's that difference between just knowing in your head and trusting Jesus with your soul. As I am entrusting myself, I am resting upon, I am putting my hands in I'm putting myself in the hands of Jesus. I am taking my spiritual resume and burning it so that I can ride Jesus' coattails into heaven instead of pulling myself up by my own bootstraps. James is talking about somebody who might boast in their faith, and God takes away all boasting. It is excluded. It is excluded. I want you to to hear this, too. This is from Matthew chapter 7. This is one of those verses that I don't read too often because I don't really like for people who are believers to start wondering, is this going to be me at the last day? But just is appropriate, I think it fits right here, right? Uh, Matthew 7:22. Jesus says, "On that day many will say to me, "Lord Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name?" Now those are people who sound like they have faith and works, aren't they? So we did these things in your name. That sounds like faith. We cast out demons, we prophesied, we did mighty works. That sounds like works. It would flow out of that faith. But do you know what they're doing? They are boasting. They have a false faith that boasts where the the true gospel excludes boasting. They're standing there at the gate of heaven asking to be let in because of their resume. And do you know what Jesus says he'll say to them? He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you know what that says? It says the people who get into heaven are not the people who earned it. The people who get into heaven are the people who know the boss. That doesn't sound very good, does it? But that's exactly how God operates. God does not let qualified people into heaven. You cannot bring your qualifications and say, I did these things in the name of Jesus. He says, I don't know you. The people that God brings in are the people that he knows. Get, get this, his own kids. Those are the people that he brings into the kingdom. Those who have been adopted into his family through faith in Jesus, his son. Those who don't have a resume but know the boss, know Jesus. That's what faith is. That's why we can say uh, no one is justified by works. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Let me just give you a, a few examples of this from, from Jesus' earthly ministry, just how Jesus in his own ministry demonstrated that this is the case, that he justifies people by faith alone and not by works. I'll give you the, the first example I, I want to read is, is from the paralytic, from Matthew 9, verses 2 through 7. This paralytic who, you might remember the story, his friends cut a hole in the roof because there was such a crowd around Jesus at this house that they couldn't get him there. He he seemed to be this uh, uh, quadriplegic man. It said, uh, Behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Isn't that amazing? Jesus' top priority was to save this man from his sins, even before saving him from his paralysis. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, what do you think, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. Guys, you can't say to a paralytic lying on a bed You better do some good works before your sins get forgiven. And Jesus demonstrates this so beautifully. He says, they came in faith, and he declared, your sins are forgiven. And it was after that that he said, now rise and go and do stuff. Forgiven first, forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works. And then there was this notoriously sinful woman in Luke 7, probably a, probably a prostitute, and he, he said to her, in, in Luke 7:48, he said, "Your sins are forgiven." What, what an amazing thing to say. He's at this, this dinner with lots of religious leaders who were looking down on this woman and thinking, D- "Does he not know what kind of sins she has done, what her reputation is?" And he says to her, "Your sins are forgiven." And then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You hear that? She didn't have to improve herself in order to be accepted by God. She came in faith, and her sins were forgiven. And he said, Now go in peace. He said to people like this, Now go and sin no more. But it was not on the basis of sinning no more that they're forgiven, it's on the basis of Christ. And then, final example—the the the clearest I think in all of the Bible—the thief on the cross in Luke three, or excuse me, Luke twenty three, verses forty two and forty three. Jesus said to this man who was being executed for his, probably for his insurrection against the government, uh, that would have included robbery, looting, that sort of thing. Uh, he 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 was next to Jesus, and and this man said to Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't say, well, get some things on your list. Get some things that you can claim as evidence that you have faith. No, he was saved by faith alone. Pure, bare, unadded to faith with zero works on top. By faith alone, in Christ alone. That is how God saves people. And I want to know, is that how God has saved you? If there is anything that you have that you think to yourself, well, I would put this as the reason, I, you know, I know the gospel. I've been in church my whole life. I know I've got to just trust in Jesus and that's it. But, but I've I, I got to have stuff here to show God. I, I, I need to make sure that, that I have a real basis in my mind for why it is that, that I'm going to make it. I'm not telling you not to work, all right? But, but even if you want to have an abundance of good works in your life, it's the same source as your justification, which is throwing away any boasting in yourself, trusting in Jesus alone. That's what's going to be life-changing, and that's what saves Don't don't trust in yourself, don't trust in your faith, don't trust in anything else. And maybe, maybe it's possible that somebody's here or listening who, you don't have any pretension of boasting before God. You've never thought to yourself, maybe there's something I could bring that's a reason why God would let me into heaven. That's a blessing to know that up front. That is a blessing to know that because Jesus says that it is not those who are well, but those who are sick who need a physician. It is those who know they are sick that Jesus will heal when you come to him in faith. So, let's count everything as loss in order to gain Christ and be found not with a righteousness of our own, but with that which comes through faith in Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Christ is this great Savior that we can trust in, Lord, there is nothing that we can present before you on that great day that will be the basis of what we have done or who we are that would gain us entry into that eternal kingdom. There is nothing that we can give you right now that would grant us eternal life, regeneration, any, any of the great gospel blessings that Christ has bought, we, we can't add to what he's paid. And so I pray that you would point our eyes toward Jesus, not toward ourselves. I pray that our boasting would cease, not, not with some kind of a sadness, but with joy in knowing that we can glory and boast in the cross of Christ. God, I pray that if there are those who need to come to faith in Jesus, that you would do that miraculous work in their hearts right now to grant them the faith by which you save and i pray that for those of us who have faith that you would just you'd cause us to rejoice in the finished work of christ even as we walk in the good works that you laid out beforehand and it's in jesus name we pray amen